but <coughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not trying to make a point every time I clear my throat. Huh? Okay, but let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you speak and that your servants would listen. Father, help us to hear not just with our ears, but also our hearts. And help us, Lord, to be open to all that you want to do in us and through us today and onwards. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, how many of you have been on a theme park right before? Genting, Disneyland, Universal Studios, quite a few lah. Okay. Uh, how many of you have gone during school holidays or some sort of popular season? Okay. How were the crowds? <laughs> awesome, right? Fun. Uh, even now, when they, they try to do the e-queuing system, still, in the end, have to queue one. Okay, so one of the... the the things that we spend the most time doing in our time in the theme park, at least if it's not just like totally at a, a empty time or when it's just open, is we spend a lot of time queuing. And so the roller coaster, let's say you're queuing for a roller coaster, the ride only takes four minutes, but the queue can take 40 minutes, right? So theme parks know that these queues can be so long, they try to make it part of the experience. Uh. And so the the ambience, uh, the, the props, the instructions, you know, you're going for a spaceship ride or on the way there, you see people all strapped in and they're like all dressed up and they're giving like mission briefing and that kind of thing. And so even though the queue is not the main point of the ride, you know, people still go through it because they are promised that once it reaches their turn, they can finally ride the ride. Lah, right? So the queue is not the point, but they still have to go through it. Now, today we are going through, uh, we are continuing 2 Samuel, chapter 2 onwards. And in David's case, it is like he is finally reaching the end of a very long queue uh, for the throne of Israel. Okay? Not that he was uh, competing with a lot of people, lah, okay? but he was just waiting very long for it. And the takeaway for today's sharing is that we claim God's promises in his time. Okay, so if you forget everything, this is the one thing to remember, take picture, whatever. We claim God's promises in His time. Now, after last week, uh, we saw how David grieved for Saul and Jonathan, right? And David, finally now, near the end of the queue, it's time for David to move on to whatever is before him. And so this is like the next phase of his life. So today we will examine David doing three things from uh, the, the passages that was read today. Firstly, consulting the Lord's will. Secondly, complying with the Lord's direction. And thirdly, claiming the Lord's promise. Okay, so these are three things that uh, David will be doing. Let's look through them. Firstly, consulting the Lord's will. Saul the Lord's anointed had already been removed by God himself. And so now, who was the Lord's anointed? David, right? David is the one who's left. He is the one who was anointed to be king. And so it was now time for him 
to become king of Israel as he, anointed, uh, as he was anointed by Samuel to be about 15 years back. But even though David knew what would soon be happening, it, he, it was just around the corner, he could taste it, he was still not yet king of Israel. After the Philistines defeated Israel at Mount Gilboa and they killed Saul, they would have occupied a central part of Israel. Okay, and the, the commander of Saul's army, Abner, had survived the battle. And even though he knew that God had anointed David to be king of Israel, instead, he makes one of Saul's sons, whose name is Ishbosheth, uh, he makes him the king of Israel. And so Abner, as Saul's cousin and commander of his army, would remain in a very powerful position if Saul's lineage continued, and so that's why he, he made Ishbosheth the, the king of Israel instead of David. And so these two things are still sort of in the way. The Philistines have occupied central Israel, and uh, there is now a new king of Israel. But I find it interesting that even though David has been anointed as the king of Israel, and now the Lord's anointed has been removed by God, David doesn't just demand the kingdom. He doesn't go to Ishbosheth, uh, the new king of Israel, and just demand him to, hey, you better, you, you should give over the kingdom to me, la. it was promised to me. David was the former commander of Saul's army. He was very popular with the people. He had been anointed by Samuel as king in front of witnesses. And so he could have very easily gone to where Ishbosheth was his headquarters, and either gotten the support of the people to say, let's remove this king, let's install David, or he could have conquered them. He would have had the justification to do that because he was divinely appointed. But what is David's first move? He inquired of the Lord. The first thing he did inquire of the Lord. Now, his inquiry is probably most likely using the Urim and the Thummim, you, you know, those two stones that they toss uh, and, and find out what is God saying, yes or no, black or white, you know, two, two answers. Uh, Abiathar, the priest, had survived the attack uh, by Saul on the priest town of Nob. If you remember, when, when Saul went over to the dark side uh, and he killed all the priests in this town of of uh, not this priest town because David had passed through the town and received help from one of them. So Abiathar the priest had escaped. He took the effort, uh, which was like their, their, the, the symbol, the, the, their, their means of communicating with God because the Urim and Thummim was in it. And he went over to David's side. And so David's inquiry, probably using the Urim and Thummim, his inquiry was whether he would he should go to one of the towns of his homeland of Judah since he was still in Ziklag. Ziklag is Philistine territory. Okay, up to this point, David was allied with the Philistines, or at least not enemies with them. Okay. So God tells him, yes, go, to your, go back to your home area, your, your home ground, Judah. And then David inquires further, which town? In Judah. And God tells him, Hebron. Now, this is not the first time that we see in Scripture that David is inquiring 
of the Lord. We also see in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1 to, to 2, this is after Saul slaughters the town of Nob, David saves this city of Keilah, uh, or Keilah, whatever, uh, in Judah from the Philistines. And so he also inquires of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? Okay, and so after that, when, when David finds out that Saul is pursuing him, Scripture tells us, again, he inquires from the Lord another two times whether this city, Keilah, would betray him even though he, he had rescued them. And God said, you know, they would. And so this is just one example before that David had inquired of the Lord. And in First and Second Samuel alone, David is recorded to have inquired of the Lord at least nine times, more than any other uh, character, okay? Not just for the major things, but sometimes for the very detailed and very practical things like military strategy. Should I go around and attack or should I wait here, you know, that kind of thing. And so this common pattern for David to inquire of the Lord, at least in this point of the story, sets him apart from Saul who is not recorded as inquiring of the Lord in the same way that David did. Towards the end of his life, it is recorded that Saul inquired of the Lord, uh, but the Lord did not answer him, right? But the, the Hebrew of that word is not really the same kind of inquiry. Lah, okay? He couldn't have made the same kind of inquiry because the Ur and Tumim were not with him. More like he just asked God, okay? But God did not answer. So, David inquires of the Lord. That is his lifestyle. It is pattern. It's something that we see him doing early on. It's something that we see him continuing to do even later after he becomes king of Israel. But when David inquires of the Lord, it is not just because he wants success. It's not just because he wants God to show him the way to victory or the way to prosperity. How do we know this? Well, we can see a, a glimpse of David's heart from what the, the 75 psalms that he wrote, right? He, he laid his heart bare in the form of these songs that he wrote. And a very large proportion of these psalms are called psalms of lament. Basically, that they were lamenting. They were, you know, this, this psalm is like, uh, why, Lord, are you so far away from me? Or why, Lord, do you allow this to happen? Why, Lord, are my enemies closing in on me? You know, that kind of thing, the, the complaining psalm. And so, where David, in these psalms of lament, David is not experiencing success. He is not experiencing prosperity. But you see his words, he is very clearly still following the Lord. His heart is still very much for the Lord. And so, why then did David inquire of the Lord if it was not to get what he wanted? Well, it was precisely because he wanted to know what the Lord wanted. Uh, David inquired of the Lord's will because that was his objective. Acts 13.22 records that uh, God testifies about David. He's found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Or in some translations, he will do my will, right? 
And so David inquired of the Lord's will because that was his goal, that was his objective, the Lord's will, what God wanted him to do, not what he wanted God to do for him. And so seeking God's will for his interests and not for our interests, that's definitely not something that is natural for us today. But perhaps that is one area that we can consider to be devoted in prayer. When it's not natural to be asking the Lord, where should I go? What should I be doing? Not for my sake, but because I want to find out what you want and I want to follow. So let's just take some time to reflect on our first question. When was the last time you inquired of the Lord? What was the purpose of your inquiry? Okay, let's take two minutes to reflect on this. So David consulted the Lord's will. Let's look at the second thing that David did. He didn't just consult the Lord's will, he also complied with it. Now David was anointed by Samuel to be king over all of Israel, but when he followed the Lord's direction, where did it lead him? Not towards Ishbosheth uh, and uh, the, the existing king to, to take the crown from him. But the Lord's direction led him to Hebron, right, which is the region of Judah. And so when he went, to Judah, uh, he went to Hebron, the men of Judah came to him and they anointed him king of Judah. Now David is finally king. Yay, okay, he's finally king. But not entirely. Judah is just one of the 12 tribes. So maybe, maybe David was thinking, huh, 
Just one out of 12, uh, 11 more to go. Uh. But here's an interesting thing. David didn't quickly move on after becoming king of Judah. He didn't say, oh, okay, you recognize me as king of Judah. All right, time to move on. Uh, Hebron is just a stopover. Now next, I will go and become king of Reuben, king of Gad, king of Dan, and so on. All right. Instead, David settles down in Hebron with his family and his followers. Now, why? Was David satisfied that he was king of something? Okay, he got the title already. No need anymore. Or did he think that maybe Samuel had mistakenly anointed him for more than he was supposed to be? Oh, Samuel, you anointed me to be king of Israel. You were wrong. Lah. Actually, I'm supposed to only be king of Judah. Well, I think that David settles down in Hebron when he does that. What we are seeing is David waiting upon the Lord. We don't know, it's not recorded, whether David continued inquiring of the Lord at this point, but he was in Hebron for at least about seven years. It seems like he was following God's direction until God gave him a new direction. Sometimes we inquire of the Lord, but we don't listen for what he has to say. I'm sure quite a few people would have responded differently if they were in David's shoes, myself included. Right, we find out, ha, huh, become king of Judah. Now, you, what, put down roots in Hebron? Nobody got time for that. Uh, the throne is waiting. God say one, I go ahead and go and try and get the rest of Israel. Now, sometimes we also ask God for directions on whether we should go do this or go here or start this. And we are confused and frustrated when he is silent. But have you ever considered that in his silence, God is giving you an answer? Like if you ask God, should I migrate to Australia or should I migrate to New Zealand? God's silent answer might simply be, don't migrate anywhere, stay where you are. Or his silence might mean, wait until you are ready to go where I ask you to go. Or perhaps it could mean you haven't been heading in the direction that I told you to go last time. Why are you asking for a new direction? Or sometimes we ask God and we listen out for Him. But we don't comply because what we hear is not what we want to hear. Let me tell you a little story. There was once a guy who signed up for speed dating. Uh, those of you know what speed dating is, uh, basically you, you have a very short amount of time, a lot of people, and like you have like five minutes to get to know somebody, then the timer goes ding, and then you, or you move on to the next person. So you are like dating people, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes, just to get to know a lot of people in a very short amount of time. And so uh, there, there was this guy who signed up for speed dating. And so he was a Christian, and... So since he was a Christian, he thought, you know, maybe before I start, uh, I should pray first. Lah. Okay? I should ask God. Seems like the right thing to do. So he prayed, Lord, please let me know when it is the girl that you want for me. 
So he sat down with the first girl. She was young and pretty. They seemed to get along well. So he tried to hear. Was God saying anything? But he didn't hear anything. He got up after the five-minute timer rang, and he went to another table and he sat down. And so this time, this girl was also very pretty. But he noticed she was wearing a cross pendant. Oh, she's a Christian. Maybe she is the one. He also connected very well with her, so he carefully listened for God. But again, he heard nothing. After the five minutes were up, he moved on to the next table, and he sat down opposite the, the prettiest girl so far. And she had beautiful long hair. She mentioned that she played the piano, and she never got angry. Oh, this was exactly the, his type of girl, the right kind that he was looking for. He said, surely this must be her. And so as they talked, he felt more connected to her than any of the other girls. So he listened. He eagerly listened very intently for God because surely, surely, she was God's answer to his prayer. But as he listened, he heard nothing. Finally, he sat down opposite a girl who didn't seem like his type at all. She had short hair. She seemed like she had a very strong personality. On top of that, as they spoke, she had an annoying habit of correcting his pronunciation and grammar. Worst of all, she thought that playing the piano was for nerds. And so he waited impatiently for their five minutes to finish. And he glanced out the window. He saw a flash of lightning. He heard a loud boom of thunder. And uh, 10 seconds later, again, bright flash of lightning, another crack of thunder. By the time the timer finally rang, there had been five more flashes of lightnings, each one accompanied by deafening thunder that shook the table. And so the guy quickly got up. He went to the next table, but before he sat down, he said quietly in a desperate prayer, God, please stop this loud thunderstorm. Else, How am I going to hear from you? you get it? <laughs> Have to explain. Uh. <laughs> God was speaking. He didn't want to hear. It was not what he wanted to hear. So sometimes we ask God and we listen out for him. But we don't comply because it's not what we want to hear. Let's look at our second question for today. Is there something God has told you that you need to start doing? or you need to keep on doing. Two minutes.
Let's look at the last thing that David did. He claimed the Lord's promise. Now, today's reading jumps a bit from chapter 2 to chapter 5 of 2 Samuel because uh, other than the fact that it's way too much to read, okay, we can't, we can't have Mrs. One reading through chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Uh, we also can't go through all the smaller details if we want to finish 2 Samuel in half a year. So I'll just very quickly summarize some of the uh, main events between chapters 2 and 5. After David becomes king of Judah, Ishbosheth's men and David's men clash, and a war between their houses begin. And as far as what scripture uh, records, David does not initiate this conflict. Okay? Ishbosheth is the one who goes uh, to, to this place near David's camp, and uh, Joab, uh, who is David's commander, uh, responds. Okay? Now, Abner had supported Ishbosheth as king, even though he knew that God had chosen David to be Israel's next king. And so 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 6 tells us that Abner, who is Saul's cousin and commander of his army, Abner had been strengthening his own position in the house of Saul. So he had his own selfish agenda. But Ishbosheth accuses Abner of wanting the crown for himself. He, he accuses him of sleeping with his father's concubine. Okay, so in the ancient world, that is basically like a declaration to the world uh, that uh, since I sleep with my master's concubine, now my master's property is mine. Okay, and basically I'm taking uh, his title, his position, everything. So when you, you, you sleep with somebody's concubine, you are like taking their place. Okay, so Ishbosheth is accusing his uncle Abner of trying to steal the crown from him. So Abner gets super offended by this accusation and he tells his nephew, oh, after all these loyal years of service to your family, this is my reward. Oh, okay, okay, fine. I will fulfill God's promise. I will use my influence and I will transfer the kingdom over to David. And so Ishbosheth is scared of his uncle Abner. He doesn't say anything. So that's what happens. Huh? Okay, so that's what he does. He goes over to the elders of Israel. He convinces them, go, make David your king. So Abner is not a good guy. Huh? By the way, when we go through all of these events, 1st, 2nd Samuel and all that, not everything that you read is good or something to follow. Okay, we must know the difference between prescriptive and descriptive. Just because the Bible describes something doesn't mean it is saying you should do it, okay? So Abner is not a good guy in this story. But God uses his selfishness, he uses his outrage for his larger purposes. Abner later, he is killed by Joab uh, because he killed his brother, so it's like revenge. And Joab also doesn't want to lose his position as commander of David's army to Abner because Abner had come over to his supporting David now. Uh, Joab is someone that we'll see more in the weeks and months to come. Basically, he is David's very loyal but also very ruthless, very ambitious nephew. Again, not entirely a good guy. But even though Abner jumps ship, 
and he gave David his endorsement, Ishbosheth is still king of Israel. But that only lasts two years because Ishbosheth is very quickly assassinated by two of his own army officers. They bring his head to David, hoping for reward, and we know what happened last week lah, when somebody brought Saul's head uh, to, to David, hoping for a reward. The reward was execution. Right? And so David is making it very clear to everybody he had nothing to do with the assassination because he executes them. So the elders of Israel then come to David in Hebron and they make him king over the rest of Israel. So, after seven years of only being the king of Judah, David finally claims God's promise fully and he becomes king of all of Israel, just as Samuel had anointed him to be perhaps 15 to 20 years earlier. Now, if you examined David's story as a secular historian and you followed his journey from shepherd boy to king of Israel, his entire story would seem to be full of a lot of very convenient coincidences. But we have the benefit of scripture. And the Bible reveals it's not just so happened, chance, right? It reveals that God's hand is constantly at work, bringing about his promise for David. And so up to the moment that David is crowned as king, he is, he is not responsible for taking the throne. It is given into his hands. In other words, he is a recipient of God's grace. In order to claim God's promise, David doesn't conquer a weakened Israel after their battle with the Philistines. David doesn't impose God's choice of king, which is himself on Israel. They all come to recognize it for themselves. They embrace David as their king, all on their own. And so David is anointed a third time. First time was by Samuel, second time by the men of Judah when he became king of Judah, now by all the elders of Israel. And so David's anointing as king is confirmed, affirmed by all. He has been marked and set apart for this role. And they all recognize it. Now he would finally step into this role that he had been set apart for. But becoming king is not the only promise that, God, uh, that David receives from God. As I mentioned last week, God makes another promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so this is known as the David, Davidic covenant uh, that uh, David would not cease to have a, a, an ancestor on the throne. Israel later interprets this promise of a Messiah as a conquering king, that he would come, he would restore the kingdom of Israel to what they expect, back to their glory days of the, the, the days of David. Right? And they even try to force Jesus into this mold. But God has other plans. He would bring about a spiritual king. He would bring about a spiritual kingdom in a totally unexpected way, solving something much bigger than Israel's national independence problem. Jesus would come. He would solve the problem of sin and death for the entirety of mankind by dying on the cross. 
And so just like how the throne is given to David, the chosen king, completely by grace, we, as God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, come into God's kingdom the same way, entirely by His grace. Let's look at our last question for today. What is one promise of God that you need to trust Him to fulfill in His time and not yours? Two minutes. In conclusion, God continues to give us an abundance of His grace, His undeserved favour. In so many ways, He continues to pour it out upon us. And one of Saul's biggest flaws was his insecurity, his fear of not being enough or not doing enough to earn the favour of the people. David didn't just seek God's favour instead of man's. He received it by His grace when He consulted His will, complied with His direction, and He claimed His promise, all in God's time. And so I'd like you to know that we claim God's promises in His time. He remains sovereign over the waiting and the unknown. His time. Be patient for the Lord's timing. Perhaps His silence might be saying something. And do inquire of the Lord often. Be devoted in prayer by seeking what He wants for you, not just what you want Him to do for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.